0: chapter 5 verses 6 through 12 of commentary on saint paul's epistle to the galatians this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org commentary on saint paul's epistle to the galatians by martin luther translated by theodore gravener chapter 5 verse 6 For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith must, of course, be sincere. It must be a faith that performs good works through love. If faith lacks love, it is not true faith. Thus the apostle bars the way of hypocrites to the kingdom of Christ on all sides. He declares on the one hand, In Christ Jesus circumcision availeth nothing, i.e., works avail nothing, but faith alone, and that without any merit whatever, avails before God. On the other hand, the Apostle declares that without fruits, faith serves no purpose. To think, if faith justifies without works, let us work nothing, is to despise the grace of God. Idle faith is not justifying faith. In this terse manner Paul presents the whole life of a Christian. Inwardly, it consists in faith towards God, outwardly, in love towards our fellow men. Verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This is plain speaking. Paul asserts that he teaches the same truth now which he has always taught, and that the Galatians ran well as long as they obeyed the truth. But now, misled by the false apostles, they no longer run. He compares the Christian life to a race. When everything runs along smoothly, the Hebrews spoke of it as a race. Ye did run well means that everything went along smoothly and happily with the Galatians. They lived a Christian life and were on the right way to everlasting life. The words, ye did run well, are encouraging indeed. Often our lives seem to creep rather than to run but if we abide in the true doctrine and walk in the Spirit, we have nothing to worry about. God judges our lives differently. What may seem to us a life slow in Christian development may seem to God a life of rapid progression in grace. Verse 7. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? The Galatians were hindered in the Christian life when they turned from faith and grace to the law. Covertly, the apostle blames the false apostles for impeding the Christian progress of the Galatians. The false apostles persuaded the Galatians to believe that they were in error and that they had made little or no progress under the influence of Paul. Under the baneful influence of the false apostles, the Galatians thought they were well off and advancing rapidly in Christian knowledge and living. Verse 8 This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Paul explains how those who had been deceived by false teachers may be restored to spiritual health. The false apostles were amiable fellows. Apparently they surpassed Paul in learning and godliness. The Galatians were easily deceived by outward appearances. They supposed they were being taught by Christ himself. Paul proved to them that their new doctrine was not of Christ but of the devil. In this way, he succeeded in regaining many. We also are able to win back many from the errors into which they were seduced by showing that their beliefs are imaginary, wicked, and contrary to the word of God. The devil is a cunning persuader. He knows how to enlarge the smallest sin into a mountain until we think we have committed the worst crime ever committed on earth. Such stricken consciences must be comforted and set straight as Paul corrected the Galatians by showing them that their opinion is not of Christ, because it runs counter to the gospel, which describes Christ as a meek and merciful Savior. Satan will circumvent the gospel and explain Christ in this his own diabolical way. Indeed, Christ is meek, gentle, and merciful, but only to those who are holy and righteous. If you are a sinner, you stand no chance. Did not Christ say that unbelievers are already damned? And did not Christ perform many good deeds and suffer many evils patiently, bidding us to follow his example? You do not mean to say that your life is in accord with Christ's precepts or example? You are a sinner. You are no good at all. Satan is to be answered in this way. The scriptures present Christ in a twofold aspect, first as a gift. He of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 1 corinthians one thirty Hence, my many and grievous sins are nullified if I believe in Him. Secondly, the scriptures present Christ for our example as an exemplar, He is to be placed before me only at certain times, in times of joy and gladness that I may have him as a mirror to reflect upon my shortcomings. but in the day of trouble, I will have Christ only as a gift. I will not listen to anything else except that Christ died for my sins. To those that are cast down on account of their sins, Christ must be introduced as a savior and gift and not as an example. But to sinners who live in a false assurance, Christ must be introduced as an example. The hard sayings of scripture and the awful judgments of God upon sin must be impressed upon them. Defy Satan in times of despair. Say, O cursed Satan, you choose a nice time to talk to me about doing and working when you know very well that I am in trouble over my sins. I will not listen to you. I will listen to Christ, who says that he came into the world to save sinners. This is the true Christ, and there is none other. I can find plenty of examples for a holy life in Abraham, Isaiah, John the Baptist, Paul, and other saints, but they cannot forgive my sins, they cannot save me, they cannot procure for me everlasting life, therefore I will not have you for my teacher, O Satan. Verse 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Paul's concern for them meant nothing to some of the Galatians. Many had disowned him as their teacher and gone over to the false apostles. No doubt the false apostles took every occasion to defame Paul as a stubborn and contemptuous fellow who thought nothing of disrupting the unity of the churches for no other reason than his selfish pride and jealousy. Others of the Galatians perhaps saw no harm in deviating a trifle from the doctrine of justification and faith. When they noticed that Paul made so much ado about a matter that seemed of no particular importance to them, they raised their eyebrows and thought within themselves, What if we did deviate a little from the doctrine of Paul? What if we are a little to blame? He ought to overlook the whole matter, and not make such an issue out of it, lest the unity of the churches be disturbed. To this Paul replies, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Our opponents record the same complaints about us. They put us down as contentious, ill-tempered fault-finders but these are the crafty passes of the devil with which he seeks to overthrow our faith. We answer with Paul, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Small faults grow into big faults. To tolerate a trifling error inevitably leads to crass heresy. The doctrine of the Bible is not ours to take or to allow liberties with. We have no right to change even a tittle of it. When it comes to life, we are ready to do, to suffer, to forgive anything our opponents demand, as long as faith and doctrine remain pure and uncorrupt. The Apostle James says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. This passage supports us over against our critics, who claim that we disregard all charity to the great injury of the churches. We protest, we desire nothing more than peace with all men, if they would only permit us to keep our doctrine of faith. The pure doctrine takes precedence before charity, apostles, or an angel from heaven. Let others praise charity and concord to the skies. We magnify the authority of the word and faith. Charity may be neglected at times without peril, but not the word and faith. Charity suffers all things it gives in. Faith suffers nothing, it never yields. Charity is often deceived, but is never put out, because it has nothing to lose. It continues to do well, even to the ungrateful. When it comes to faith and salvation, in the midst of lies and errors that parade as truth and deceive many, charity has no voice or vote. Let us not be influenced by the popular cry for charity and unity. If we do not love God and his word, what difference does it make if we love anything at all? Paul, therefore, admonishes both teachers and hearers not to esteem lightly the doctrine of faith as if it were a toy with which to amuse oneself in idle hours. Verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord. I have taught, admonished, and reproved you enough. I hope the best for you. The question occurs to us whether Paul did well to trust the Galatians. Does not holy writ forbid us to trust in men? Faith trusts in God and is never wrong. Charity trusts in men and is often wrong. This charitable trust in man is necessary to life. Without it, life would be impossible in the world. What kind of life would ours be if nobody could trust anybody else? True Christians are more ready to believe in men than the children of this world. Such charitable confidence is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul had such trust in the Galatians, although they had forsaken his doctrine. He trusts them through the Lord, in so far as they were in Christ, and Christ in them. Once they had forsaken Christ altogether, the Apostle will trust the Galatians no longer. Verse 10 that ye will be none otherwise minded. Not minded otherwise than I have taught you, in other words, I have confidence that you will accept no doctrine that is contrary to the one you have learned from me. Verse 10. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Paul assumes the role of a judge, and condemns the false apostles as troublers of the Galatians. He wants to frighten the Galatians with his severe judgments of the false apostles into avoiding false doctrine like a contagious disease. We can hear him say to the Galatians, Why do you give these pestilent fellows a hearing in the first place? They only trouble you. The doctrine they bring causes your conscience only trouble. The clause, Whosoever he be, seems to indicate that the false apostles, in outward appearance at least, were very good and devout men. It may be that among them was some outstanding disciple of the Apostles, a man of fame and authority. The Apostle must have been faced by this very situation, otherwise his vehemence would have been uncalled for. No doubt many of the Galatians were taken back with the vehemency of the Apostle. They perhaps thought, why should he be so stubborn in such small matters, Why is he so quick to pronounce damnation upon his brethren in the ministry? I cannot say it often enough that we must carefully differentiate between doctrine and life. Doctrine is a piece of heaven, life is a piece of earth. Life is sin, error, uncleanness, misery, and charity must forbear, believe, hope, and suffer all things. Forgiveness of sins must be continuous, so that sin and error may not be defended and sustained. But with doctrine there must be no error, no need of pardon. There can be no comparison between doctrine and life. The least little point of doctrine is of greater importance than heaven and earth. Therefore we cannot allow the least jot of doctrine to be corrupted. We may overlook the offenses and errors of life, for we daily sin much, even the saints' sin, as they themselves confess in the Lord's Prayer and in the Creed. But our doctrine, God be praised, is pure, because all the articles of our faith are grounded on the Holy Scriptures. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. In his great desire to recall the Galatians, Paul draws himself into the argument He says, Because I refuse to recognize circumcision as a factor in our salvation, I have brought upon myself the hatred and persecution of my whole nation. If I were to acknowledge circumcision, the Jews would cease to persecute me. In fact, they would love and praise me. But because I preach the gospel of Christ and the righteousness of faith, I must suffer persecution. The false apostles know how to avoid the cross, and the deadly hatred of the Jewish nation. They preach circumcision, and thus retain the favor of the Jews. If they had their way, they would ignore all differences in doctrine and preserve unity at all cost. But their unionistic dreams cannot be realized without loss to the pure doctrine of the cross. It would be too bad if the offense of the cross were to cease. To the Corinthians, he expressed the same conviction. Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. 1 Corinthians 1.17 Here someone may be tempted to call the Christians crazy, deliberately to court danger by preaching and confessing the truth, and thus to bring upon themselves the hatred and enmity of the whole world. Is this not madness? But Paul does not mind the enmity of the world. It made him all the bolder to confess Christ. The enmity of the world, in his estimation, argues well for the success and growth of the church, which fares best in times of persecution. When the offense of the cross ceases, when the rage of the enemies of the cross abates, when everything is quiet, it is a sign that the devil is the doorkeeper of the church, and that the pure doctrine of God's word has been lost. St. Bernard observed that the church is in best shape when Satan assaults it on every side by trickery and violence, and in worst shape when it is at peace. In support of his statement, he quotes the passage from the Song of Hezekiah, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. Paul looks with suspicion upon any doctrine that does not provoke antagonism. Persecution always follows on the heels of the word of God, as the psalmist experienced. I believe, therefore I have spoken, I was greatly afflicted. Psalm 116, verse 10. The Christians are accused and slandered without mercy. Murderers and thieves receive better treatment than Christians. The world regards true Christians as the worst offenders for whom no punishment can be too severe. The world hates the Christians with amazing brutality, and without compunction, commits them to the most shameful death, congratulating itself that it has rendered God and the cause of peace a distinct service by ridding the world of the undesired presence of these Christians. We are not to let such treatment cause us to falter in our adherence to Christ. As long as we experience such persecutions, we know all is well with the gospel. Jesus held out the same comfort to his disciples in the fifth chapter of St. Matthew, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. The church must not come short of this joy. I would not want to be at peace with the Pope, the bishops, the princes, and the sectarians, unless they consent to our doctrine. Unity with them would be an unmistakable sign that we have lost the true doctrine. Briefly, as long as the church proclaims the doctrine, she must suffer persecution, because the gospel declares the mercy and glory of God. This in turn stirs up the devil, because the gospel shows him up for what he is, the devil and not God. Therefore, as long as the gospel holds sway, persecution plays the accompaniment, or else there is something the matter with the devil. When he is hit, you will know it by the havoc he raises everywhere. So do not be surprised or offended when hell breaks loose. Look upon it as a happy indication that all is well with the gospel of the cross. God forbid that the offense of the cross should ever be removed. This would be the case if we were to preach what the prince of this world and his followers would be only too glad to hear the righteousness of works. You would never know the devil could be so gentle, the world so sweet, the pope so gracious, and the princes so charming. But because we seek the advantage and honor of Christ, they persecute us all around. Verse 12 I would they were even cut off which trouble you. It hardly seems befitting an apostle not only to denounce the false apostles as troublers of the church, and to consign them to the devil, but also to wish that they were utterly cut off. What else could you call it but plain cursing? Paul, I suppose, is alluding to the rite of circumcision, as if he were saying to the Galatians, the false apostles compel you to cut off the foreskin of your flesh, while I wish they themselves were utterly cut off by the roots. We had better answer at once the question whether it is right for Christians to curse certainly not always, nor for every little cause. But when things have come to such a pass that God and his word are openly blasphemed, then we must say, Blessed be God and his word, and cursed be everything that is contrary to God and his word, even though it should be an apostle or an angel from heaven. This goes to show again how much importance Paul attached to the least points of Christian doctrine that he dared to curse the false apostles, evidently men of great popularity and influence. What right, then, have we to make little of doctrine? No matter how non-essential a point of doctrine may seem, if slighted, it may prove the gradual disintegration of the truths of our salvation. Let us do everything to advance the glory and authority of God's word. Every tittle of it is greater than heaven and earth. Christian charity and unity have nothing to do with the word of God. We are bold to curse and condemn all men who in the least point corrupt the word of God, for a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Paul does right to curse these troublers of the Galatians, wishing that they were cut off and rooted out of the church of God, and that their doctrine might perish for ever. Such cursing is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thus Peter cursed Simon the sorcerer, Thy money perish with thee. Many instances of this holy cursing are recorded in the sacred scriptures, especially in the Psalms. For example, let death seize upon them, and let them go down quick into hell. Psalm 55 verse 15 End of chapter 5 verses 6 through 12 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians